Grab your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 3. That's what we just got done reading. If you would like a Bible, a paper Bible to follow along with, I'd love for you just to raise your hand. Uh, our ushers are in the back ready to hand you a Bible if you want to flip along with us. You can take that home with you as a gift or uh, just leave it on your seat when, when you're done with it. And uh, that would be great as well. John chapter Three. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. Excited to get, in, get into it with you. I want to start off with a, a hypothetical question that's been asked uh, for, for many, many decades, for a very, very long time, and it's hypothetical for sure, uh, but it's a great exercise to run in your mind, all right? This is a great question to, to process through. Let's say you pass on from this life, and you make it to heaven. You're like, yes, I made it to heaven. You get to the gates and God is standing there, and he asks you a question and says, why should I let you in? Why should I let you in? Now, it's a great question to process because we may default, people may default to saying something along these lines like this. Well, God, for number one, I'm an American. Bless God, right? That's Christian country. If you're born in America, you're a Christian, right? And I'm a Republican as well. Or wait, I'm a Democrat. What are you, God? You know, wait, I'm either whatever you are, right? And so I've never cheated on my taxes, God, like those crooked politicians in D.C. I give to United Way occasionally. My parents, they baptized me, and uh, they're good people, and I'm a good person, right? I'm a good person. I'm way better than my neighbor. He doesn't know how to take his trash can back to the house when trash day is over, uh, so I'm way better than him, right? And we, we begin to go down the list of things that we do or we have done or we have earned ourselves into heaven. And the reality is being able to enter into the kingdom of God has zero to do with what we do. Zero to do with what we do. And that's difficult for us, difficult for humans, because we are all about the self in our current culture. It's all about my thoughts and my, and my desires, and I'm in control, right? And, and uh, I should be morally good enough to enter into heaven, or I should be wealthy enough to pay my way in. It's me doing it. I'm good enough. I'm good enough to get into heaven. And the reality is, is man, you're not. None of us are good enough. All of us have sin nature and a sinful nature on the inside uh, that we can't change. We can't fix by any external means. What, what's the, the, the famous quote that, that's used a lot? It's like, you can put lipstick on a pig and call it Sally, but at the end of the day, it's still a pig, right? And so the idea is no matter what external human effort that you try to do, it cannot change an internal spiritual problem, right? That's, that's what John 3 is talking about. And so how do we enter into heaven? How do we enter into the kingdom of God? How are we saved? You got to be born again. Got to be born again. It's this idea of regeneration, right? That's the big word, the big Christian word. And regeneration is this, inner transformation by God. Inner transformation. Your current inner reality spiritually is a sinful nature, and it must be recreated. And it's recreated by God alone. And he changes your internal reality. He changes you. He puts his spirit inside of you. The old man is gone, and behold, the new man has come. You went from spiritual death to spiritual 
life. And this change happens to us, and we don't contribute really anything to it. And that's what Jesus is trying to get Nicodemus here to to understand. So let's break this passage down for a few moments. We're going to go through this quickly um, for the sake of time. But starting in verse 1, let's go through this. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Okay, so let's break this down for a moment. Who, who is this uh, Nicodemus guy, and, and, and who are we dealing with here, right? Nicodemus is a Jew. He's a descendant from Abraham. Abraham's his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, right? So this guy is in the chosen nation. Not only is he a Jew, he is a Pharisee. Pharisees are important people. They're teachers. They're leaders in the Jewish community back then. And uh, they know the law, right? He probably has half the Old Testament memorized. And um, he's smart, right? He's not only a Pharisee, he is a Sanhedrin. So he's like the upper echelon. He's a cut above even the Pharisee. A Sanhedrin, it's like 70 people that were selected to be the kind of the ruling class, right? The, 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 the Supreme Court, so to speak, uh, of the Jews. And so Nicodemus is, he's wealthy, he's got power, he's got status, he's got everything together, and he's curious who this Jesus guy is. That verse right here, it says, Rabbi, you know, it says, you know, Rabbi, this is a respectful statement to give to someone we know, right? Talking about he's grouping himself in the Pharisees. Hey, we know that you are a teacher. So he respectfully calls him a rabbi, but he almost levels the playing field with Jesus saying, we know you're a teacher, kind of like us. But there's something a little bit different than you because you're able to do all of these signs. God must be with you. God must be with you. You must be kind of like Elijah or, or Moses or Daniel in the Old Testament. Something's different about you, right? And you'll see as you read through the Gospels, the Pharisees and people, all they're concerned about are like the signs that he's doing. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. And Jesus is like, man, it's not really about the sign. It's about me. But here's Nicodemus asking about signs. Hey, Jesus, something special about you. How are you able to do these tricks, right? How are you able to do it? And I find Jesus's response Interesting because he doesn't refer to the signs. He doesn't even talk about the signs. It says this in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's critical. Next verse. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Right? Jesus is talking about being born again. And when you look at that word in the Greek, it kind of carries a couple of different um, translations, okay? It does mean born a second time, but it also means being born from above. Your translation may even say that. If if in your Bible, it might say being born above. Jesus is talking about a spiritual rebirth. But Nicodemus' mind is blown. He's like, what? You know, it's like malfunctioning a little bit. He's like, what what are you talking about? And Nicodemus keeps the conversation in the natural. It's all he can compute. It's all he can understand. And so he poses two questions to Jesus and say, 
How can an old man be born? How can an old man enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born again? He, he doesn't get it. I, I want you to think about the nature of the questions that Nicodemus poses back to Jesus. What is he saying? He's, he's talking about things tangible, things that he can contribute to. How can he, how can he get back into his mother's womb, right? And, and really what Nicodemus is saying, I can't do that. That's impossible on my, in my own right and in my own strength and in my own power. And it's almost as if Jesus is saying, exactly. That is exactly right, Nicodemus. If you want to be in the kingdom of God, the only way is to be born again, to be born from above. Jesus uses this analogy of being born because even in the physical realm, we had nothing to do with it. We didn't contribute anything to being born. It happened to us. And the same thing goes in the spiritual realm. We can't contribute to it. It happens to us. And that flies in the face of traditional thinking of the Pharisees. And really, it challenges us even in modern culture today because we want to contribute. We want to do things to earn our salvation. There was a, a leading thought back in the day of, of Jesus' time that all Jews got a free pass into the kingdom of God. If you look up, if you want to do this, um, it's not very interesting reading. I don't, I don't find, but uh, the Mishnah Sanhedrin 10 colon 1, right? The Mishnah is a, a, a translation of the, of the law of Hebrew. Um, like how, how, do we, how do we do the law, right? So the Sanhedrin did that. And in there, they wrote that all Jews get to enter into the kingdom of heaven in the future except for anybody that is like wildly evil or unless you're super rebellious or you're a terrible person, for pretty much everybody gets a free pass into heaven. And here's Jesus telling Nicodemus, the only way you get in is to be born again. So, so for a moment here, maybe even for the first time, Nicodemus is hearing your religion isn't good enough to get you into heaven. What you have done your whole life, all the good stuff, all the things, isn't enough. You need more than the law. You need more than power. You need more than status. You need more than, than, than position. You need a new life. You need a new heart. And you need a new birth, a spiritual birth. Now grab your Bibles and flip back two, verse, two chapters with me to John chapter 1. This isn't the first time we've heard of the idea of being born again or being born from above. John chapter 1 talks about it, and I kind of want to build a case for this idea out of John 1, starting in verse 9 for a minute. It says this, the true light, talking about Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, right? Jesus came to the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But all, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born. Okay, so in order to become a child of God, there has to be a birth. But what is the birth? Not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, not of the will of man, but of God. Think about this for a moment. Break it down. Not of blood. Okay, so hey, Nicodemus, man, that is great. That's your great, 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 great grandfather is Abraham. That doesn't save you right? Heritage doesn't 
save you. Your parents can't save you. Your second cousin's uncle, who's a pastor down the street, he can't get you into heaven. Doesn't save you. It's not by blood. Goes on to say, uh, nor of the will of the flesh, right? No matter how much you want it or will it or try to determine it or try to make plans for it or how morally good you think you are or how close you think you can get yourself to God, it's not a part of the flesh. There's this guy um, by the name of Simeon Stylites. He was born in 300 AD, long, long time ago. And he was a Christian ascetic. And asceticism is this idea of practicing like extreme self-regulation and abstinence and even punishment. These people would like punish their flesh and their, their bodies all in order to have a higher spiritual experience, right? And so not all of that's wrong. I think it's, a lot of that's good to abstain from things, to deny yourself, to fast. All of that's good. The problem becomes is when those things we begin to think that earns me my salvation or that earns me favor with God. God, look at what I'm doing for you. You should save me or I should be able to earn my salvation, right? So this dude, Simeon Stylites, he builds this tower, super tall, skinny tower, puts a platform on top of it, and that dude lives on it for 37 years without coming down. People like lift food up to him, and I mean, just extreme, extreme like self-regulation and abstinence. Later on in, in the Roman Catholic Church, he becomes uh, a saint, and they, they love the idea of his purity and, and his self-denial of pleasure and all these things, and I don't know that guy's heart. I'm not trying to cast judgment. I'm just trying to point out it's easy to think, oh, what I do earns me salvation. It's not the will of the flesh. You know, Paul in Philippians 3, he talks about the flesh as well, and he talks about it. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. It doesn't, it can't, it's just, it leaves you wanting and needing. We can't do this in the flesh. And then back to our passage in John 1, nor of the will of man, you know? And so again, I just think, like, no matter what you achieve in this life, no matter the accolades or, you know, salvation isn't a human device, no matter how zealous you think you are for, for all these things, we can't produce salvation in our own strength. Ephesians 2 tells us this, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God not a result of work so that no man may boast. So to be a child of God, you need a new birth. And it's a birth by God. Now, back to John 3, starting in verse 5. Jesus driving the, the point home a little further. Jesus answers, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Before he said he can't see it. Now he's saying you can't even enter it. Next verse, that which is born of flesh 
of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He's saying, Nicodemus, what we produce in the flesh can only produce more flesh, and flesh is sinful. It's broken. It's tainted. It takes the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to reproduce in someone a new spirit. It's a powerful statement. He's just trying to teach Nicodemus this. And if you go back real quick, verse 5, you know, this is a fascinating passage here. And a lot of people um, kind of maybe misinterpret it or they try to think through this. And so born of water and the spirit, what does that mean? Some people think it means a natural birth, like you think about the water breaking and and a birthing happening, but it's not that at all. Some people think that this is um, how you argue baptism and salvation to be saved, like, like you got to have both, but that's not it either. If you want to write this down and, and take a look at it later, Ezekiel 36, Jesus is quoting, and he does it all the time, all through his ministry. He's constantly quoting from the Old Testament, and he's quoting Ezekiel 36, I'm, I think, to jog Nicodemus's memory of like, hey, dude, you should get this. Of all people, you're, you're it. You, you should know what I'm talking about here. And Ezekiel 36 says this, God is speaking, starting in verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. And from all of your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's crazy. Hundreds of years before this moment, God was already talking about this idea of a new birth and a new spirit being placed in a man and, a, and, a, and, and taking out a heart of stone and putting in a heart of flesh. Jesus goes on to say, verse 7, John 3, verse 7, don't marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. And now Jesus kind of gives a sermon illustration, right? And he's like, okay, let me try to break this down a little bit farther, right? The wind Nicodemus blows wherever it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. He's saying it's kind of like the wind, Nicodemus, right? Y'all remember the crazy storms that blew through last week here in Noonan, Georgia? Y'all remember that? Dude, one night I was outside cooking some hamburgers on my little griddle, and I feel like, dude, the, the sky turned black in a second. Lightning striking, right? I mean, just like winds blowing everywhere. I'm yelling at the kids, come out here, help me get the food inside. About to have hamburger patties blowing all over the yard. They come out. They're like, oh, my gosh. They're trying to get all the food inside. And we get inside, and we're looking out the window, man. And, I mean, it is like torrential downpour. I mean, trees are bending, right? And I got a mess in my yard, and the gutter flew off. And it was just like, boom, on and then off, like real quick. There and gone. I'm like, where in the world did that come from? Out of nowhere. I didn't know that was coming. And I don't know where it went. Just boom, here and gone. And and it's interesting because some people ask the question, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know I'm born again? And the idea is, man, we can't open up our hearts, you know, and like see this moment of regeneration. Like, let me see if there's a blue check on your heart. Right? We can't open up and see that regeneration moment, but we see the effects of a new birth in a person. 
where before I was walking with God and, and before I was spiritually born, I, reborn, I, I kind of just went towards sin. And I, and I didn't have any conviction around it. But now, man, when I go that way or when I think about that, man, I've, I've got a conviction in my heart about that. God's changing my desires in my heart. And now God has given me new desires. Like, I want to get in God's Word. I, I want to pray. Sunday morning is like my favorite time to gather with believers because we get to sing songs to the Lord and hear His Word preached. Your desires begin to change, and the fruit of the Spirit begins to change and show up in your life, right? Where you maybe you used to be angry um, and, and not so patient anymore uh, before, but now all of a sudden you're more patient. Somebody cuts you off in the grocery store in the aisle at Kroger uh, or wherever, and, and it's like, you know what? You would have blown up at that before, but you're just at peace. You're changed, and you're being changed because of a spiritual rebirth that has happened by the power of God in your life. Verse 9, Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Mind blown. Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? That's a scary verse to me uh, because it, it makes me wonder. There, there's this quote. It says, man, we can get all of our theology right and at the same time get our relationship with God all wrong. Man, we can know all the stuff and check the boxes and completely miss Jesus. Southcrest, in all of your pursuits, and all of your desires, and all the things that we do for God, do not miss Jesus. Don't miss Him. Don't miss Him. It's, 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 it's a slippery slope sometimes. But the cool thing is this, is that once we're reborn and once we're regenerated in our hearts, it's from that place that all of those things flow. It's not the reverse of I earn it, I do these things to earn. No, he's given it to me, so therefore that's when I go read, and that's when I go study, that's when I go serve, that's when I come to church. It's all from the place of rebirth. It's not what gets us to it. It's a free gift. Verses 11, 12, and 13, um, he gets, he, Jesus keeps talking. And finally, verse 14, Jesus kind of gives a, an example or kind of gives a glimpse into how to be reborn. Verse 14, as Moses was lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Boom, there it is. That's how we're reborn, is we place our trust and our faith in Jesus, and that alone saves us. That's what saves us. The Israelites in the Old Testament, man, they were getting ate up by all of these snakes. It's a fascinating story. And uh, people were dying left and right, and they repent. And, and Moses goes before the Lord, and God tells him to raise up this bronze or this brass pole with a snake on it and tells everybody, look, if you want to be saved, you have to look at this thing. And I'm sure people in their pride in that moment, I, I don't know this for sure, but they're like, what? That saves me? How is me looking at this going to take the venom out of my skin? We need a doctor and that anti-venom stuff. I need to go to the hospital. I need something physical to get this out. And it wasn't that at all. It was, you have to look at this in faith, believe in it. 
that it will. I don't know how, I don't know how that works, but in faith I look. The same way with Jesus Christ on the cross. He was raised up and he took the judgment and he took our place on the cross. And for all who place their faith and trust in him, not as a good teacher, not as a miracle worker, but as the actual son of God, that's how you will be reborn and born again. And we finally lead ourselves all the way up to the famous passage of Scripture. Maybe the most famous passage of Scripture, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. God loved it. He initiated. He loved, he loves you so much that he gave his son to die a brutal death on a cross for our, for our sin in our place. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Man, that is the good news of Jesus. Now, in closing, I, I want to we'll maybe talk about this a little bit more um, deeper. But if, if you read on to the next chapter, Jesus leaves that moment and he goes to Samaria. And he goes and he sits down at a well and has a conversation with a woman, the Samaritan woman story in chapter 4. And have you ever compared those two moments? You got Nicodemus, he's a Jew, Pharisee, Sanhedrin, knows the law. He's the teacher of the teacher. He should have gotten it, but didn't. And then all of a sudden, now Jesus goes and has a conversation with a woman who's a Samaritan, right? They call them half-breeds, not Jews. Um, she's a sinner, has had five husbands and, and sleeping around out in the middle of the day trying to, to, to hide at noon. And now all of a sudden, Jesus comes to her and talks about living water, and she gets it. Nicodemus didn't in this moment, and she gets it right away. It's a really cool picture of God saying, man, whoever wants to come and believe, man, come and believe, and you'll be saved. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter how many times you've sinned, how many times you've failed or messed up. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who, you know, who your parents are and where you were born and your nationality and all these things. It doesn't matter. If you would but believe in him, you'll be saved. It's amazing. What love what grace, what mercy has he poured out upon us?